The Crux of the Matter, Episode 49, 1 Timothy Chapter 1. Hello and welcome to The Crux of the Matter, the show by pastors for pastors. This is Pastor Todd Peppercorn. And I'm Professor Scott Stigmeyer. Hello, Scott. How are you doing? Hey, Todd. Another day. Another day. Indeed so. A uh, a busy day in the ministry here, and uh, I'm sure a busy time of prep for you, but kind of still beginning the school year, but we're we're cracking right along. What have you been teaching lately? Um, Well, my... uh, I teach uh, Intro to Doctrine here at Concordia Irvine, mm-hmm. and um, but but I'm also teaching church history. So this last week um, we talked about the origins of Christian worship, Ooh, and that was kind fun. of fun. Yeah. yeah, I got to talk a little bit about the Jewish um, origins of you know the synagogue liturgy and and uh, Passover liturgy and how those things have made it into Christian practice. Sure. So I enjoyed that. Yeah, definitely. Do you have any particular uh, resources that you use for teaching that sort of thing, or do you just kind of riff off of it yourself? Well, it was it was there was a chapter in our textbook on it, but I mainly did some of my own stuff and and drew from some. You know, Art just wrote a book on on right. liturgy, and right. and I I drew from that. He has a chapter on the Jewish antecedents of Christian liturgy. Oh yeah, and there's that. Uh, that video series that he did, oh, that mm-hmm. must have been close to 20 years ago by now, I would think. I think yeah. I've used that in Bible class uh, numerous times over the over the years. So there's a, there's definitely a lot of fun, uh, a lot of fun stuff, stuff you can work off from there, that mm-hmm. is for sure. Well, and the textbook we're using has a chapter on that, and, right. you know, the origins of Christian worship. So mm-hmm. that was, that was, you know, what the students read. Gotcha. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, that's fun. That's uh, yeah. lots of lots of good things to uh, run around with that. Well, my um, I uh, I my teaching thing for this week is really a uh, a preparation for another teaching that's coming up in April. Uh, the LCMS Life and Health Ministries is hosting a a seminar on uh, mental illness and the church. On particularly on how how the church can can care for those who struggle with mental illness, and I'm one of the speakers for this. This is in uh, on April 9th at Concordia Seminary in St. Louis, and and I did an interview with Deacon Andy Bates on the show His Time, which is a KFUO show. Uh, I think it's even a daily show. And uh, so it was me and Stephanie Neugebauer, who is the director of Life and Health Ministries. And it was it was a short little interview, about 15 minutes. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. But um, it just kind of started to set up what we're going to be talking about, um, particularly the relationship between faith and mental illness. That's kind of what I'm uh, what I'm going to be talking about. So that was kind of fun. Yeah, nice. That's nice. Yeah. How many speakers are there? Uh, four. It's um, uh, me, a uh, another pastor whose name I believe is Jeff Flug. He's a pastor in Indiana. Um, Dr. Beverly Yonke. Oh, there's one other speaker who just escaped me, but uh, mm, I'm sure it'll okay. come to me in the middle of the night. So yeah, it's a one yeah. day seminar, like eight to five or something like that at the yeah, sure. uh, being hosted at the seminary there in St. Louis. So yeah, it'll be a good time. Yeah, um, nice. It will... Uh, It'll be a quick one, but I'm uh, I'm definitely looking forward to it. It'll be fun. Well, I'm really glad that our Senate is tackling that. I think that's an important issue for pastors. It's a huge one, and and I know we've talked about this uh, on more than one occasion here. But what what fascinates me about it is how 
how our approach to mental illness kind of lays bare a lot of other theological challenges that we face as a church and as a society. Um, because we're talking about uh, something that affects the uh, the mind, uh, cognitive ability, uh, emotions, and so many things that affect the human condition that uh, and and just kind of messes with it. It it really uh, I think gives us an opportunity to look at some things that we may not look at otherwise. So yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. It should be it should be an interesting time. So, my friend, we have been uh, scheming for a little little while on some of the things we could do this year. And for our dear listeners, one of the things we've been talking about doing is looking at some of the pastoral epistles and and just kind of reading through them together and talking about what how this impacts us as Lutheran pastors in the 21st century. And seems like the most obvious place for us to start, at least obvious to me, is First Timothy. So I think we'll do this for a few weeks and then uh, and and just kind of take a chapter at a time and simply read the chapter and then discuss it and kind of kind of work through what is it, how this is going to impact us or how does this how does this really apply, if you will, to the church and the ministry today. So that's what we're going to start today. Is that work for you, Scott? Does that make that's sense? A, sounds awesome. All right. So, so what we're going to do, at least we're going to try this, and if it fails miserably, we'll try something else. But what we're going to do is uh, we'll take turns reading reading a chapter. So I'll read the I'll read First Timothy chapter one, and which isn't too long, and then we can uh, and then we can discuss it, and we'll kind of take turns from there. So let me read. First Timothy chapter one for our dear listener. If you want to pause and and uh, get a Bible, you can follow along at this point. First Timothy one. Uh, I'm reading out of the ESV. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia. Remain at Ephesus so that you may change so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine, in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. 
and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the King of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Thus far the chapter. Yeah. Yeah. Lots of interesting stuff in there, Scott. Anything uh, Anything grab you just at first hearing? I mean, obviously uh, you've heard it before, <clears throat> read it before, etc. Yeah. I mean, I think for our time it's significant to note that uh, Timothy or Paul begins his letter to Timothy warning against false doctrine and yeah. false teachers. <laughs> he doesn't really uh, waste much time, does he? No. Uh-uh. There's obviously something, you know, he has somebody in mind when he talks about myths and endless genealogies. Right. I don't know exactly who he has in mind, if he's thinking of early Gnostics or Judaizers or, or who he's got in mind. But um, right. he, he clearly has specific people in mind. Sure. Oh, yeah. This is this is a letter that is written with a very concrete context no no question about it no question but you know you wonder it. you wonder today if if um you know if we have the same uh sort of wariness towards false doctrine and their danger in the church uh some people do but but i think many of us are just sort of you know walking blind we don't have that same sort of wariness well yeah and i don't know my my impression is that in the church, we have a tendency to think there is doctrine and then there is doing stuff. Yeah. yeah <laughs> and the right. two are not particularly related to each other. And so you got all of the all of the doctrine book stuff that you believe, and then you've got actually doing good works. Mm-hmm. And um and there is a there's definitely a danger there. No, no doubt about it. First of all, to to recognize that what is the um what is the end of false doctrine? Where does false doctrine go? I think that's that that's kind of a big question for us. Well, you know, I mean it, it ends up it ends up in the in the destruction of souls ultimately. Yeah. I mean, that's the pastoral reason that, you know, he's putting this in here. It's not just because he wants to, you know, win arguments or be right. You know, it it's about it's about pre- preserving lives and, and right. saving souls. Right. So he's talking to a um so he's talking to this young pastor Timothy. And in kind of the first the first thing that he sets up there in verse 3 is um he urges him to stay in Ephesus so that he may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. Parangelo. So we get this uh this uh sort of solemn entreaty or uh, command even. And, uh, and so there is, there is a definite, there is a definite sense that Timothy is given 
Uh, he's given a task. He's given authority to do this. Um, you know, the authority ultimately comes from Jesus Christ, but is but is also clearly from Paul. I mean, Paul mm-hmm. is the one that charges him to do this. Yeah, and then we get that myths and endless. And the, I mean, it's hard not to believe that myths and endless that the endless genealogies, at least, that sure sounds like a uh, like a a, a Judaizer mm-hmm. sort of sort of thing to me. Well, and because he also mentions uh, those who desire to be teachers of the law, right? You know, it, 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 you know, you wonder if he's still fighting the circumcision battle somewhere. Or, you know, people are, are, you know, asserting themselves as sons of Abraham and trying to bind consciences with uh, Mosaic law. Right. Right. Yeah. Is that is that what's kind of, um, yeah? Is that what's what's underneath it? I don't know. That's um. So you've got these. Certain persons, verse 6, that have swerved from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Those three. Yeah. And these and these three don't understand what they're saying and how they make these confident assertions. And uh, I don't know. It strikes me that one of the one of the things that is that is often the case in the church is the the voices that are the most strident, the most certain, uh, oftentimes are the ones that are on the least, um, on the most shaky footing. And how do you, uh, you know, I, I mean, he's saying that they're these confident assertions, as he as he puts it. It kind of makes it sound like they are they are so prideful they're so certain mm-hmm. that they're right that they can't even they can't see through their own pride well and and it and it seems like the subject is the role of the law you know right. in, in what in what respect what is the law for and right. you know he he asserts that it's good but you know he he has a certain application of the law in mind paul does mm-hmm. uh you know that it, it is to convict of sin you know ultimately what we would call the second use the yeah. the, the law as, as a mirror mm-hmm. And it seems at least that there are people that are teaching the law in a different way for a different purpose. Yeah, we know. I mean, one of the things that struck me as I read this was, was first of all, we've got that, uh, we've got that old hymn, the law of God is good and wise. I mean, that's almost mm-hmm. an exact, uh, I mean, it's almost certainly a direct reference to first Timothy one eight there. Um, there was at least one other hymn that uh, that kind of popped out at me later on. Um, Immortal, invisible, God only wise. I think. Um, so yeah. Um, now there has been a little bit of uh, discussion in Lutheranism about the role of the law. <laughs> oh sure, <laughs> just, that's right. That's very relevant. Yeah, just a little bit. Um, and, and while without getting, getting into too much inside baseball here, um, Paul does sort of lay out pretty carefully that the purpose of the law is for, is to convict sin. Uh, I mean, Mm -hmm. second use to kind of use catechism language. Mm -hmm. Um, it is not laid down for the just, for the, for the righteous, but for the lawless and disobedient. How do you, um. So does that mean that the law has no place in the Christian or for the Christian? Is that kind of Paul's point? 
I don't think he's. I mean, I don't think he's saying it has no place because we we need it as um, our accuser, you know, even right. as Christians. Um, and you know, just looking at how Paul uses the law himself, I mean, he certainly uses it in an exhortation manner, you know, in the sure. epistles. Of course, he definitely sees a, a way, of, you know, a role for what we would call a third use. I, I think that's clear. Yeah, but I agree. Um, you know, but there are people who in the church use the law in a way that is not lawful, as he says. Right. Um, you know, and that, that's why I think he's thinking of Judaizers or people that are setting up. Um, rules and boundaries that go beyond what the gospel requires. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. And, um, and, and of course, the, I think the trick for this, for us today, is we don't have a lot of Judaizers floating around here in the, you know, not in the, not in the first century sense. Mm-mm, but anytime no. someone in the church sets, um, says, this is how we ought to do something. Whether you're talking about worship or evangelism or how to pick the carpet color in church, <laughs> whatever it is, anytime somebody says, this is how we ought to do something, it, it, it seems almost inevitable that one of the responses is going to be, you're just, you're just being a legalist. You're simply, you're, you're just creating new stumbling blocks for the Christian. And because I am a Christian, the law has no, has no place for me. Now, I don't think that's what Paul's intention is here. Well, we don't have, we don't have people in, in the modern church who are saying that we have to be circumcised, right. you know, or that we have right. to follow the kosher laws or the, there are, there are people, a small number of people within the Christian spectrum who are advocating the Sabbath law. I mean, Seventh-day Adventists and Seventh-day Baptists are, you know, saying that the Sabbath law still binds our consciences. But, you know, but what we have is is stuff like, you know, maybe, um, you know, you have to be baptized by immersion. You know, you have to be that if you're not baptized by immersion, you haven't been baptized. Um, you know, there are, there are people that create um, legalisms or create laws and boundaries that, you know, are not biblical. So they're not Judaizers. You know, they may or may not be Judaizers, but they're legalists. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I don't know, I guess, I guess for me as a pastor, anytime we, we sit down as a congregation to say, we're going to do this and we're not going to do this. Um. I always want to make to first of all have clear in my own mind and then secondly to make clear why we're doing this. Are we doing this is this an in order to be saved sort of thing or is this for the sake of love for the sake of our walking together our life together under the cross. And there is a difference there. In fact there's a I think that there's a pretty huge difference. You know, we can agree on all kinds of stuff in the church on how we are to work together and live together under a, under a common life. That doesn't mean that it is and that, that there's an or else you're going to hell at the bottom yeah. of it. Right. Right. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. I think it's interesting, you know, I mean, you know, he, he he has a great expression of the gospel in this chapter. You know, he talks mm-hmm. about, um, you know, being saved himself, you know, yep. as a, as a, as a, 
the worst of all sinners. Yep. Um, but you know, he closes the chapter. I mean, for, for in our, in our chapter, it closes with him talking about, I think he's talking about excommunication. You know, he's, you know, he, he's talking about church discipline, right? Um, you know, that Hymenaeus and Alexander, whatever their, whatever their false teaching was or whatever they were doing, it was destroying the faith. And, you know, he, he hands them outside, he puts them out of the church um, handing them over to Satan is how he puts it. So they may t- be taught not to blaspheme. And, um, you know, even church discipline, you know, essentially he's talking about legalism in the church, but then he, he solves the problem by exercising church, church discipline. discipline. Yeah. Right. Which is almost always attacked as being legalism. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> that is interesting. Yeah. Now, I don't, yeah. I don't want to, uh, uh I don't want to, uh, gloss through this uh, this uh, twelve to uh, seventeen though, because there's some really mm-hmm. interesting language that he that he uses there. Um, you know, and again, this is very autobiographical on Paul's part. You know, he he judges me faithful. He appoints me to his service, um, and then he uses those three: blasphemer, persecutor, insolent opponent. Um, but I received mercy. Because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. So did he receive mercy because it, because he was ignorant? I mean, why? Do, what is the cause of the mercy in that verse? In that verse thing, verse thirteen. But well, uh, you know, I mean, he seems to be you know saying that he was um, received and, and made an apostle. And that God didn't count his, you know, he didn't count his sinful his sins against him. Um, yeah. It's it's just an expression. Of, it's just a way of expressing the gospel. You know, yeah. he, he goes into saying that Christ Jesus came to save sinners of whom I am the worst. Right. Um, you know, and, I, and, and uh, I mean, and if you think of it, that is almost. Uh, I mean, you can you can hear Father forgive them for they know not what they do, mm-hmm. in in that in that kind of language. I acted ignorantly in unbelief. Jesus. You know, Jesus' entreaty to the Father on the cross to forgive them mm-hmm. um, because of their ignorance. And where, is that in um, Habakkuk where they, uh, my people are, uh, um, my my people are lost for lack of knowledge? I can't mm. remember, but um, yeah. yeah, you get that kind of kind of stuff. Now, now probably the most familiar verse in this chapter is fifteen. Yeah. Um. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the, you know, foremost is what, what the ESV has. We, of course, know it as chief, chief of sinners, um, mm-hmm. that, that language where there's protos, you know, I'm the, I'm the proto sinner, <laughs> something, something, something like that. Um, Paul's point is not that he is more of a sinner than anybody else or less, but that he is, that he is the first example here that of, of these, of these sinners. Well, and a prime example, you know, and a if, prime example, there you go. If, if, I like if, that if I can be forgiven, look at what I've done, look at my past and my record. And if I can be forgiven, then, you know, then, then God's grace can extend to anybody. Right. 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 But I received mercy for this reason. That Jesus might display his perfect patience as an example to those who are to believe in him for eternal life. In other words, uh, Jesus shows his patience and persistence with Paul and therefore 
to the rest. Yeah. Yep. Interesting. So then we get this word in 18 again. I, uh, I, uh, I, I charge you, I command you, I, uh, this, this command I entrust to you. Now, what are these prophecies he's talking about? Well, I don't know. I mean, I don't obviously, know either. And, and I'm uh, not a Timothy expert. I'm not going to pretend no, to be. No. No, obviously that, you know, I mean, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, um, I, I don't necessarily read that as Old Testament prophecies that he's applying to Timothy. Um, but, you know, that, that people have uh, have proclaimed that Timothy would be a, a, a pastor in the church. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't I don't know that he has a specific old what we would consider an Old Testament prophecy in mind. Yeah. Um, but somebody yeah. somewhere had had declared that Timothy would be a, a shepherd of God's sheep. And he's referring to, to that apparently. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, that's a weird one. I um as I said, I'm not an expert on First Timothy, but that is a that is a peculiar verse that uh you know that by them that is by these prophecies. Or no, is it by the prophecies or is it by the charge? That's um, I trust to you. No, I think he's probably talking about the prophecies. I think so too. I think that's it's the plural most logical way to read that that by mm-hmm. them you may wage the good warfare so we get um so we get some uh some warfare language here and we get conscience language and that's um and that's kind of a big a big deal in Paul in any number of places um and what is the uh you know what is the what is the conscience what does it mean to have a to have a good conscience versus a um a bad conscience an evil conscience i can't i can't think about conscience without thinking about uh john kleinig anymore cuz he's mm. he's just done done so much work on how uh on how we are we as pastors are to deliver a good conscience to our people um by the forgiveness of sins by the healing of the gospel so that when they stand before God at the last day, they can do so without fear. Um, yeah, it's a really, uh, uh, and, and when you mess with a person's conscience, you're, you're really, you're doing serious damage to them along, along the way, because you're, you're messing with their self-understanding, their understanding before God, their understanding of what is true, what is real, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, there's a there's a lot that could be mined out of well, that. Well, and sure. that's I mean, and that's the error of whomever he's these false teachers he's talking about. Is that right. They're binding consciences. They're putting burdens on people's consciences. Right. And so to to bind a person's conscience uh un- either unnecessarily or falsely is uh is a great danger. And that's why when we talk about proper distinction of law and gospel we have to be really clear in our own in our own minds and in our own teaching on what we're doing and why because if i mess that up um i'm i'm i potentially am doing serious damage and you got these two people that he uses as uh among them you know these these two and he hands them over to satan and i think you mentioned earlier scott and i i agree with this that this is that this is either excommunication or in in some fashion he is putting them outside the church 
in this process. But but what I'm fascinated by with that is that he he puts them out of the church so that they will learn not to blaspheme. Now, I don't know about you, but I think handing but in sort of instinctively if I hand somebody over to Satan, you would think they're going to learn to blaspheme more. <laughs> right? <laughs> well, I suppose so. I mean, if the, you know, I think his handing them over to Satan is just a, a way of saying I've, I've booted them from the kingdom. You know, I, sure. I've, I've, I've booted them from the, the, uh, the, the safety of the church. Um, right. And, and, you know, you, you, you learn by being under Satan's control what you missed. You know, you you, right. you become aware of what's been taken away from you by by its absence. You know, I don't know that he's um, you know literally handing them over to uh, some satanic group where they're practicing. Yeah, I blasphemy. No, I don't think that's the. I don't think that's what's behind that. I, mm-hmm. I agree, but but once again, it is interesting that <clears throat> that oftentimes. Uh, God uses the God. God uses unbelief and unbelievers mm-hmm. to to teach, and that doesn't mean that the unbelief and unbelievers are are good or right, but that God mm-hmm. can use them for His holy purpose. And yeah. what is His purpose here is that they would learn not to blaspheme. I don't know, There's, and their blas their their blasphemy apparently is their you know if if we're tying all this chapter together their blasphemy is that they've been they've been teaching falsely right right and and have made shipwreck of their faith in verse 19 and so it is their faith and uh, certainly by implication in this teaching they are leading others into that false uh, that falsehood as well hmm i think i like this book yeah there's a yeah. lot here there's a lot here. That's, uh, I think that's probably enough for today. But that's um, that's very interesting. Lots of lots of good stuff for us to think about as pastors. I think very interesting indeed. Um, if you would like to find the show notes to this and reference anything that we're uh, talking about here, you can find the show notes at thecruxofthematter.net slash podcast slash forty nine. I would invite you to do so, or write us at. Feedback at the crux of the matter dot net. So, Scott, what's bringing you joy this week, pray tell? Well, um, you know, since I'm teaching church history this semester and enjoying it a great deal, one of the one of the things that I'm going to or what I'm going to highlight today is one of the books that I require. And it's called Documents of the, of the Christian Church by Henry Bettinson. And it's just a collection of, of um, primary sources from from the first century all the way to the 21st century of key texts, key primary texts from Christian sources uh, that you need to, you know, they're excerpts of things from the church fathers and from uh, the different, um, you know, uh, leaders in the Christian church throughout the centuries. This is great because we've been, you know, I'm, I'm reading this textbook with the students, but we're also diving into these primary sources. So it's, it's fun. We read the Didache, you know, we're reading, uh, we're going to be reading some Athanasius, and we're going to be reading, you know, later some Augustine, and so on. And, and it's got a nice collection. My, my criticism of it is that it has way too much modern stuff, in my opinion. Sure. Um, you know, it's got way too much stuff on AIDS and and same sex marriage and um, all the all the different ethical things that come up in the last gotcha. fifty years. 
but uh, but so you know if you get an earlier edition of it it might actually be better i've got the fourth edition the most recent hmm. one but i think you know when we teach church history we have to be actually looking at the primary sources you know yeah. we can't just rely on a textbook to, to explain it all no absolutely actually i mean you want to bring something live you got to get to the source odd fontes you got to get yeah. to got to get to the source i totally agree interesting i don't have that book so i'll add that to the list of things you make me spend money on thanks a lot sure sure <clears throat> um my uh, joy bringer this week is one of the tools that i use in in writing uh either sermons or even larger documents and it is a mind mapping program mm. i don't think i've talked about it here before uh, it's called i thoughts x and basically what a mind map is, is, is sort of a way of, of getting ideas out on a piece of paper or in a, on a computer screen in this case, and then figuring out where things fit together afterwards. So it's a great way to do a brain dump of stuff and then, and then afterwards kind of figure out how to organize it. I, I, I sometimes struggle with making outlines because I feel like I have to have everything all orderly in order to get it into the outline. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I don't get it and if I don't have it in that place yet, um, a mind map is a great way to go. So I, uh, I will include a link to a, um, uh, to a mind map that I, that I made up using iThoughts this week in preparation for my sermon for tomorrow morning. Just as an example, it's nothing special. But it kind of gives you an idea. It, it can kind of help me to get get things started if I don't know where to begin. A lot of times in writing, actually getting getting going is the hardest thing. Once you're sort of into it, it, it becomes a lot easier. But actually getting something down on paper can be really hard. And a mind map is great for that because then you can you can just start just start plopping ideas down. And, uh, and I have, uh, I have preached off of mind maps before. Most often I'll start on a mind map until I kind of get, get the outline sort of figured out in my head and then I'll move into a document, which is how I did it this week. Um, but anyway, it's a, it's a great program. What's nice about it is, I mean, this is a, uh, this is a Mac and iOS program. I'm, I'm sorry, Windows guys. I, I don't have anything for you here, but there are a bazillion mind map programs out there. Lots of them, some online programs, but uh, there's a Mac version there. And then there's an iOS, uh, iPad and an iPhone version. And then they can all sync together. So you can kind of start when you're on the, you know, on your phone in the grocery line and then just move it over to your computer when you get there later. And it, it works really well. I like it. Is, is there something about because since there are so many different programs for mind mapping, is there something about iThoughts X that that stands out for you? Well, um, it's customizable, which is good. But in my mind, the most important thing in a mind map program is that it's got to be it, it. It has to have a pretty simple interface. The more stuff, the more complicated it gets, that just the messier and less helpful it is for me. And what I like about iThoughts is that it it has a it, – it's, it's easy to get started. And then it's powerful enough that if you want to start doing other things, making it look pretty or including links and all sorts of other stuff, you can, but you don't have to. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but there's a, another one that I've, I've used a lot over the years. It's called MindNode. And that one works really well, too. But as I said, there are a lot of different mind mapping programs out there. Um, used to be that they were super expensive. But um, anymore, you're probably looking at 15, 20 bucks at most. And uh, and I think that's a pretty good deal. 
So that was yeah. my joy bringer for the week. Yeah, nice. Yeah. yeah, I like mind maps as well. I, I haven't used them that much, but I, I think they have a lot of potential. Yep, indeed so. So it's good. So anything else for our dear listeners, Scott? No, no. Thanks for listening. Yeah, good time. And uh, we will continue with First Timothy chapter 2 next week. If you uh, have any questions or anything you would like for us to try to discuss in as we go through these uh, pastoral epistles, please uh, drop us a line. We'd love to hear from you. And thanks for listening.